The title for the message that I've prepared for today is to fear God and keep the feast. I suppose in some ways you could say, well, why is he telling us that? We're here. We are keeping the feast. That is true. I think you'll see why. I hope you'll see why. The Feast of Tabernacles is, of course, the sixth of seven annual festivals. It pictures the sixth stage in God's plan of redemption and bringing spirit-born children into a family relationship with him. So the feast, of course, is all about family, and this is a very family-oriented feast site, which is wonderful to see. We've gone through the uh, fall holidays together. We've experienced the fourth stage of God's plan, which is Christ's dramatic return. We've also been through the fifth stage together, which is the removing of the source of deception and an atonement for sins committed in ignorance. Now we're at stage six, which is a 1,000 year long demo. It's a demonstration of what God's rule looks like. It's a wonderful time. Humanity will live in peace with one another and with God. There's going to be unimpeded access to knowledge and spiritual truth. I know we've read this scripture before, but let's go to Isaiah 11, verse 9, and just remind ourselves of this. Isaiah 11, verse 9 says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. So it's going to be everywhere, everywhere. Now, stage six, where we're at right now in the plan, of course, is not the final stage. And that was addressed a little bit yesterday in the previous message. It's not the final stage. Afterwards, after all this wonderfulness, must, of course, come a day of decision. A day of decision for both God and for all flesh. But we're going to leave that message for that day. That's coming up. Go to Leviticus 23, verse 34. This is coming through Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation, and you shall do no ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no, no ordinary work. So we're commanded, we are commanded to keep or to observe the feast. It is a commandment. We are told to do this. Our Creator wants us to do this so that we rehearse, that we go through this. Each year we rehearse, we go through the motions, we remind ourselves, and we experience in, in a foretaste sort of way this very important step in His overall plan. And there are many benefits and there are many lessons that we learn simply by keeping and observing the Feast of Tabernacles. However, you wouldn't learn them if you don't attend, if you're not here. Now, as I mentioned earlier, of course, everyone who's here is here, and that's great. God is glad to have you here. I'm, I'm glad to be here myself. There are many lessons to be learned, but they won't be learned by people who don't come. And I ask you this, if, if a person can't get their act together enough to make it to the feast, can they get their act together enough so that they can be 
ruling beside Christ when he returns? Can you have one without the other? And if you've been around long enough, you've heard lots of different reasons why people say, I can't keep the feast. My boss won't give me time off. I can't get time off this year. I don't want to lose my job. Um, well, I couldn't scrape together the few hundred dollars it takes to go to my local site. I don't like any of the available feast locations. Well, I don't see why I have to go on any of the days except the high days, etc., etc., etc. And to some, these sort of excuses are more important than walking in the commands of God. As I've mentioned, though, of course, that doesn't apply to you. You're here. But to refuse to keep the feast, if a person will not keep the feast, I, I think that would be like saying, I don't want to participate in the coming kingdom of God. I've got other things to take care of. I've got higher priorities. I've got other demands on my time. And that's a choice. Of course, it's a choice with consequences. We are here to do many things. One of the things we are here to learn is to fear God. Hence the title of the message, Fear God and Keep the Feast. Turn to Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. You've probably heard this scripture this fall season. We're going to take it um, in a little different direction. It says, Before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. Here we are, Montego Bay area. The place where God has chosen to make his name known. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And so that is one of the lessons of the feast. That is one of the things that we learn by doing. So many of the ways that God teaches us are by doing. So we're to present ourselves in a place that God has put his name to learn to fear him. To learn to fear him. So there's more, I suppose, that you could say that the understanding of the knowledge of the symbolism of the feast and, and all the wonderful things that it pictures. There's also the learning of the very simple lesson of obedience. God has commanded us to be here, and so we are here. Go to Proverbs 1, verse 7. Short and sweet and to the point, Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It is the beginning of knowledge. And it goes on to say, well, fools despise wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The foolish despise wisdom and instruction. So here's where wisdom begins. Wisdom begins with fear of God. Now fear is not to be understood as you know, a cringing sense of horror. Rather, I think it should be understood as awe, respect. We heard a little bit about respect on the opening night, which has actually helped me focus this feast pretty well. And we respect God. We respect God and we worship God. Although, with all that said, we should be very concerned about the consequences of not obeying God. So, fear God and keep the feast. Go to 1 John 4. 1 John 4, verse 17. 
Now, the Proverbs said, fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. So where do we go? 1 John 4, verse 17. Breaking into a larger thought here, a sequence of ideas that John's putting forward about Christ and understanding his role in our redemption and our salvation. In verse 17, John says, By this is love perfected in us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in this world. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So Christ's sacrifice opens up and makes possible a relationship with God that goes beyond fear. But we start there with fear of God, and then as we, as we get to know God better through instruction, through prayer, through Bible study, through trial, through suffering, and perseverance in those things, our fear is transformed. And the result is love. Kind of like, a, like the analogy that Paul used when he spoke about the resurrection body. A seed that goes into the ground. A seed is put into the fertile ground and it comes up a glorious plant, a beautiful plant. And then I suppose I could use that analogy to talk about fear, which grows into something quite beautiful and lovely, which is the love of God. Love begins with the keeping of God's commandments. I, ho I hope we all know that. <laughs> if you don't, um, now you know. Love begins with the keeping of God's commandments, which involve love for God and love for our fellow human beings, for other people. And that's one of the messages of the feast, is that all nations will get started on this process. All nations will learn proper fear of God. Go to Isaiah 11, verse 4. It says, speaking of Christ when he is returned, when he has assumed his very active role in the governing of this earth and the rule of God on this earth, says, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Go to Revelation 19, verse 15. We'll read the same thing. Context there, Christ has returned. Speaking here of Christ in his mighty warrior mode. Uh, says in verse 15, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which of course is the word of God, which is the commandments. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So when the 1,000-year rule begins, 
Christ will use this rod of iron. There's going to be the judicious use of punishment and great power to subdue the hearts of people. All those people that are alive at that time. The imagery of a rod of iron, I think, sometimes gets taken in the wrong direction in the sense that it's really harsh. I like to think of it in the sense of iron being that which does not bend, which is strong and unyielding. There's not one rule for the rich and one rule for the poor or the other way around. It is a rod of iron, unyielding and unbending and just. One area of submission and obedience that is specifically mentioned in this 1,000-year rule is the observance of the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's go there. Let's take a look at Zechariah 14, verse 16, and we'll read through verse 19. It says, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come up against Jerusalem, that terrible time of battle, shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, and if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. If the people in Jamaica won't go, I don't know what God will do then. Um, maybe take away their music. <laughs> That'd make them keep the feast. All right. The family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves. There will be no rain. And there shall be a plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. And this shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of tabernacles. Christ's goal is love. His goal is love, peace, and joy. But the process begins with proper fear, proper fear and obedience. And then building on that foundation, there will be all those wonderful outpouring of the blessings of the millennium. And all the people will have blessed lives because they are being trained to fear God. We could look at, we want, we're not going to do this, but if you were to look at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, which speaks of, and I think it was mentioned in one of the previous messages, beating all the weapons of war into implements of uh, farming, and they will not learn the ways of war anymore. Well, that's going to happen because they learn to fear God. This is built on that foundation of fear towards God. In Micah 4, we read of the wonderful blessing of every man shall sit under his own fig tree. People will have things of their own. Some people have nothing. But there will be prosperity in, in that wonderful time. Because we have started with the fear of God. And built on that foundation. So we're here at the feast. And we're here to learn about God. I mentioned that fear of God is, is, um, is the foundation. It's only the beginning. I'm going to say it's the beginning of a sequence. I'm going to make it a four-part sequence, okay? 
So if you like making notes or drawings, you could have one, two, three, four, with little arrows between them. The first would be godly fear. We start with godly fear, which leads to love, which leads to peace, which leads to rejoicing. It's because this sequence is at play that we have the idea of rejoicing at the Feast of Tabernacles because we've established the peace, because we've built the love, because we've put down that foundation of fear toward God. So how might these things play out at a feast site like we have here in Jamaica? Okay, fear of God. We, in this room, are all concerned about the consequences of not obeying him. And so we packed our bags and uh, some of us hopped on a jet but we've made our way to the Feast of Tabernacles. We're here. Now, respect towards God also means that there are some other things that we do while we are here. We have respect for those he, he has appointed to manage the feast site, for example. And we cooperate with the guidelines that were given. Restrictions, perhaps, that are imposed by the hotel or the staff. And... Remember that God doesn't like complaining and griping. <laughs> Basic things like that. Because we build on this foundation, we're able to, I believe, go to the next step, which is better practicing the love of God. We understand that obedience and commandment keeping is the beginning of practicing love both toward God and practicing love toward one another. So when we're at the feast, we are very concerned with how we treat one another. That's what God's commandments are all about. How do we treat one another? And I think that's always, at least as long as I've been keeping the feast, been a theme of the feast. How do we interact with one another? And as usual, we started off with some guidelines about things to consider, things that are usually pressure points. Uh, but we do certain things at the feast which are, are, are wonderful. Of course, our love of God starts and begins with keeping his commandment to come to the feast. In addition to that, we're keeping the Sabbath day today. We do special things, especially at the feast, when we show respect and deference to the elderly. That should be part of our conduct one to another, which, of course, is one of the commandments. Is it not? Honor your father and mother. We spend extra time with family as well, because that's another extension of that commandment. Uh, we make every effort not to be short-tempered with one another. I hope we do. We should at least be trying, which is an extension of the commandment against thou, that says thou shalt not kill, as Christ instructed. It extends right out into anger, how we interact with one another. So we work on things like that. Our impatience, short-temperedness. We focus on things like that. We're careful not to act in ways that are sexually provocative which sometimes is challenging at a beach-type place, but that's something that we should consider. That's an extension of the commandment about adultery, which we keep all sexuality within the confines of a marriage. We're generous with one another, and we don't try to gain advantage over one another. 
jumping in line, things like that. Well, those are, those are putting the tenth commandment into practice, not coveting. So God's commandments have a lot to say about how we treat one another, even at a feast site like this. And because we've got all this going on, and I, you know, I think we're doing okay here. We might have had some uh, slip-ups or not, but we're doing pretty good. Because we have that instruction and we have that going on, we have peace. We have peace. We have peace at a site like this. We have peace with God and we have peace with one another. When we're all making every effort to act in this way, the result is peace, as it will be in that wonderful time that we're looking forward to when Christ's rule, God's rule through Christ is extended on earth. Knowing that our actions and our attitudes are in sync with God, it gives us peace as well, an internal peace. Expressing love towards one another gives us tremendous peace. For seven days, you have the opportunity to experience and participate in this rehearsal, if you will, of living the way of peace. That's an experience that the rest of humanity is only really going to latch on to when those thousand years begin. Now, I said it was four-part sequence. Peace means that we can rejoice. And we like to talk about rejoicing. I do. We like to talk about rejoicing. For seven straight days, we are here among God's people who are all working together. We're working together to try to create a foretaste of the thousand-year rule of Christ. God's people will be all around you. And like I mentioned earlier, sometimes, well, we might fall short. We know that happens. Sometimes you don't live up to the best standards. What do we do? We give up, we go home? No, we don't. We pick up and we head in the same direction yet again. So at the feast, it's not a time to give up. If anything's gone wrong, if you have lost your temper or whatever, <laughs> we keep at it. We persevere. Also, at the feast, you receive instruction. You receive daily instruction on all these types of things. How do we treat one another? How do we treat God? And we have this instruction every day, which I think in some ways pictures that reality that we talked about in the opening scripture, which was the knowledge of God is everywhere. And we see that at the feast to remind us, to keep us going, to keep us on track, and to keep us in remembrance. And that starts with fear, proper godly fear towards God, and that we keep the feast. Go to Leviticus 23, and we'll take a look at verse 39. It says here, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and the, on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches, palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord, your God, for seven days. So we've all saved. We've prepared ourselves financially, physically, hopefully spiritually as well, for the feast. And we can enjoy all these wonderful physical blessings of uh, food, 
drink. There's lots of it here. (laughs) We can have wonderful fellowship and we can rejoice. But we can rejoice because we've built peace, which is based on love, which is built on the foundation of fear toward God. Now out there, people are suffering. Some are partying. Some are suffering. Some are dying. There's persecution. Back home in the States, it's amazing how many people kill themselves or turn to drugs in despair. Well, in here, we are working towards the solution, the answer. That's what this is all about, which begins with godly fear and obedience, and then builds out on that wonderful foundation. In the world to come, the world tomorrow, that thousand years that we look forward to, all that confusion and despair, well, it's going to be replaced by what is good and what is pleasant. I think it was in one of the songs that we sang at the beginning of this service. But I have a different quote. It's from Corinthians. It says, No eye has seen, nor has, has ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. When all the spiritual blindness and deception gone and uh, not clouding people's judgment, it's going to be wonderful. In fact, even death will be done away with. But, as I mentioned, that is a message for the last day and that final step in God's plan. For now, we rejoice. Yaman, we rejoice. So, make every effort to continue uh, working together harmoniously together with church members, but the staff, even with the outsiders that we have here among us. We're not, everybody here is not with us. And while we rejoice, think soberly about what it is that you're involved in. What are you a part of? Where is this headed? And what is its purpose? And work to create a joy-filled atmosphere today that pictures the age to come. So fear God and keep the feast.